0: Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a founder that has done it multiple times. You know we're going to be very much enjoying his journey. You know we're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, and also exiting. You know he's been able to see multiple billion-dollar uh, exits. You know happening. So very inspiring. You know the conversation that we have in front of us. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Nagati Bulnaga. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you? So originally born in Cairo in Egypt. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: Okay, thank you for having me today. I've always been a fan of this podcast, so I'm happy to be here. I was born uh, in Cairo in 1986. Uh, Cairo is a very hot city in uh, Egypt. Egypt is known for the pyramids, so I'm sure many people know uh, Egypt by the pyramids and the camels. Uh, it's a very hot uh, environment i was uh, born and raised uh, uh, my, my childhood was mainly 80s and 90s so uh, it, it was it was a tough ride at the beginning but i i got used to the city i got used to how busy it is and i now enjoy it
0: so now obviously i mean being born there next to the pyramids and and i mean obviously you 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 moved around a little bit there and joined also the American University. So I guess that that gave you also access to, to a world view. But I guess in your case, how did you get into the whole world of computers? Because you studied computer science as well.
1: Uh, when I was a young kid, I was fascinated with the Internet and the computers. It was the beginning of an era uh, of everything happening. I remember the old... Uh, Way of loading the internet with all those stripes happening and uh, very slow internet happening. I I was fascinated with the CDs, with the technologies, with the floppy disks, and how everything is advancing. And I spent most of my time on a very old Mac that my dad used to bring to me. And then, as I grew up, I started to do some trainings in uh, in uh, in places with, with that that put computers and PCs together and put TVs together. And that's how I got fascinated. So it was a no-brainer to get into computer science and engineering.
0: Now, for you, once you finished your degree, I mean, during that time, obviously, you got a little bit of a taste of the business world. I mean, you did brokerage, uh, restaurants, uh, real estate, all types of stuff. Uh, Now, one thing that you did, though, is as soon as you graduated, you literally started three companies at the same time. I mean, That sounds a little bit crazy, and I know that they (laughs) didn't unfold the way that you had expected. So why three at the same time, and what did you learn, you know, especially from from that experience?
1: When I graduated, I was all over the place. I was fascinated by entrepreneurship, and I thought that managing a company uh, is something easy, and I, I had three main ideas. So I went out and started the three together. Uh, each of them with different partners, and they all flopped. <laughs> in two years, I was in debt, and they were all gone.
0: So what did you learn from, I would say, because it's either you succeed or you learn, right? I think that the more you fail, the more that you succeed. So I guess from perhaps that that failure, you know, it was your first time going at it, you went at it with three companies. I'm sure that it was painful, right, the lesson that needed to be learned.
1: Yeah, it was actually very tough. Because I borrowed some money from my sisters. I have three sisters from my dad, from my my cousins, to start those companies. And now those companies were gone. And I owed my family money. So they thought that this guy is crazy and he's just losing money. And uh, I think it's also elimination. I knew what I don't want to do by losing money at those companies and failing three times at the beginning of my career.
0: But, you know, one thing led to the next as an an entrepreneur. You know, you're always going to be an entrepreneur. And out of all things, you get into restaurants, you know, the restaurant business by opening a Lebanese restaurant there that ended up growing a little bit faster than what you would have hoped. But restaurants, I mean, restaurants don't scale that easy, but uh, it sounds like that was a pretty interesting journey for you.
1: Yeah, like restaurants was, uh, I was a very social person. I had a lot of connections and contacts. And during my university years, a guy who owned the restaurant told me to come and help him with the reservations and the marketing. So this was the main thing I started to click with. So this is why I, and I was, Lebanese food is very famous in our part of the world. So I thought a Lebanese restaurant is a no brainer. And this is, we were just out of the revolution and uh, we had a lot of problems with the economy in Egypt. So uh, this was uh, my, uh, my aim to do it. And it boomed. It went very well, actually.
0: Now, it sounds like Fauri is what changed the course of things, because that also got you thinking on restaurants versus steaks. So what (laughs) happened?
1: Uh, I was doing the restaurant business, and then uh, this started at like 3, 4 p.m. every day, the night. The morning was very slow in the restaurant, and uh, a friend's dad was the guy who started Fauri, so, uh, and we were like three very close friends and one of us, one, one of us uh, dad st- started the company's so ways like join and help us with sales. And, uh, in the morning, since you work in the, uh, in the afternoon, and even I use the restaurant to host the people to sell to them. So I started to work in February in the morning from like nine to two, three PM. And then after this, I ran to the restaurants. To hustle and do the restaurants. and I, des- I stayed juggling both together for around two and a half to three years uh, till I de- till I decided I'll focus on tech. I I will I will I will move out of the restaurant business.
0: Now Faury, it sounds like uh, you really wanted to get all in because you sold the restaurant portion and then you bought more shares of Faudi. So what gave you that conviction? You know Fauri?
1: Uh, honestly my dad was always against the restaurant business he didn't like it he didn't like how i operated and he thought like any dad like you studied engineering you have to be working in technology and engineering so he was pushing me away from the restaurant business whenever i did something he was like no matter how much money you make in restaurants you have to leave it so at the point in time i just felt that i had to choose one of them like i i weren't able to keep going with both so uh and Fowry at that time was being known more and more, and I was getting more attention. And I was not doing very well, honestly, on the restaurant. I tried to turn the restaurant business into a fund. I was managing 48 restaurants instead of one, and I didn't have this know-how back then. So I threw the towel of the restaurants. I just said, I'll just sell my shares. I sold my shares. I went to my manager and told her I want to buy some shares in Fowri. I took some money that I borrowed uh, to start the restaurants, to give back to my family, and then I put the rest in Fauri.
0: So Fauri was uh, essentially the PayPal uh, equivalent in the Middle East and yes. uh, definitely was a, a rocket ship. So how was that experience of, of being able to experience something that was scalable and repeatable, you know, in such an incredible way?
1: I remember the first days of Fauri when we were sharing two apartments in a small building with another company and was so very small, very limited resources, uh, and then it, we started to gain traction. Uh, uh, funds started to put money with us. After I bought the shares, I felt like I have money here. I'm part. I'm a shareholder. I'm part of the company. I remember the day that one of the one of my colleagues told me I'm a shareholder in the company. I felt very jealous. So the moment I bought the shares, I felt oh now I'm part of the company. This made me work more and fight more, and Fawry reached a point that was doing north of two million transactions a day, uh, and the part I was running was a startup within the startup. It was the B two B part of the business that I started on. That I started to work on on my own, and I scaled. So I learned what's HR, what's finance, how tech is involved in business, how can you grow uh, a company. I, I I I wasn't aware of the word fintech. Like it was like it was still financial technology. It was not a slang word for fintech back then. And boom, 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 made it very big. And Fauri IPO'd in 2018. And at that point in time, it, was, it had a $2 billion valuation. Now it's much less because of what's happening all around the world. But Fauri is a household name in, in Egypt and the Middle East.
0: How big How big did Fauri get? I mean, are we talking about unicorn status here? What are we talking about?
1: Yeah, it, it, crossed, uh, it reached around $2 billion in valuation in the public market. But it was a public company.
0: What was your biggest lesson from experiencing an amazing rocket ship like that? You know, what were some of the patterns that you recognized?
1: First thing is cash flow is very important. A company with a lot of cash is a strong one. The second thing is it's all about the team. The team in Fawry was one of the best teams I've worked with, if not the best, it was the creme de la creme of the engineers and the salesmen in Egypt. And the third thing is that uh, the larger the market, the more the opportunity you just keep, have to keep going. So till today, I'm not part of the company, but it's growing and growing every year. This year, it's going to cross $10 billion of uh, GMV. So it's growing and growing even today because there was a big need. So when you have a need, you have the cash, you have the team, then you go.
0: So in your case, it sounds like you were already in a rocket ship. So why taking the call from a company that ended up becoming (laughs) Kareem?
1: uh in fauri i'm better in the in the in the starting phase i'm, I'm more uh, in my comfort zone when the company is starting we write on the boards with markers and we've been together when it became a three thousand, four thousand employee company and we do like team building stuff and stuff like that i'm i'm, I'm not a fan of this i'm fan of the first goal moving the ship out of the hole you know so uh when uh, I was approached by the Karim team with Dassir and Hadir, they told me we want you to help us grow the Egypt uh, 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 office for Karim. I felt okay, this is something new, it's mobility. I did financial technology, let's do mobility. So and then mobility became a Trojan horse and Karim also became a unicorn. So Alhamdulillah it was huge,
0: So 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 Karim obviously. You know, incredible um, unfolding of our story, I would say, because yeah. it was acquired ultimately by Uber. By how much?
1: Yeah. $3.1 billion.
0: So what, 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 what were some of the things that you saw repeating from Fauri to Karim now? Because, I mean, two companies, $2 billion companies, what, what were you seeing there?
1: Also huge need because the taxi service was very bad in our country and very bad in most of the countries around us. And Egypt has a $110 million uh, population. Uh, The the, the region that Karim operated in was even bigger than Fawri because it was a Middle Eastern company. So you're speaking about from Morocco to Pakistan, you're speaking about 600 million people. It's a big thing. It's it's bigger than the United States in in terms of people. So uh, the need, the huge need, and the good funding and the great team, as I told you. So it was also... Those three things, money, team, need, money, team, need. And you put technology and boom, you get a unicorn or a spoof.
0: (laughs) Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So... That gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at PanteraAdvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, in your case, it was a, a, a really big success. Uh, but most importantly is what was the segue that needed to happen for you to start your next real big company, which was Haaland. You know, and this happened after you had your son. So obviously it sounds like, you know, definitely having a baby, you know, is what they uh, push you to having another baby, another baby, <laughs> in this case, in business. Uh, but 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 how was that like? Because obviously you had your pr- prior experience with the restaurants, with the failed companies. Why did you think at that point that you were ready to start another company of your own?
1: Let me be honest. Uh, during my Karim days, the, the end of Karim days, I wanted to do Karim for the masses. Like there is something called tuk-tuk, which is a three-wheeler. It's a small car that goes into bumpy roads in less privileged areas in Egypt, and there are motorcycles. I thought that those products have to have something like kareem we have around two and a half million of those in egypt we have everywhere on our continent from those so when i was approached by my uh, ex-colleague ahmad mohsen who was who used to teach me also at university computer science and told me there's a guy uh, who has uh, a dream of doing this and he is uh, the partner with the largest uh, distributor of those two and three wheelers and then i started reading around and, and found that when the the largest distributor of the product is part of the startup, it it is better for the distribution. So I went to him. I showed him my card as the regional director for Karimi told me, man, we want you to co-found this company with us. You complete us. Someone will do the technology. This guy was the CEO. He told me I will raise money and Mohsen will build. And you will do the business side and the commercial side and the partnerships and the sales. And boom, we started. And it also became a billion-dollar company somehow.
0: What was the uh, business model there of Holland? How were you guys making money?
1: Honestly, it started off as something, and now it's something else. It started off as uh, the Uber of the tuk-tuks, or the two and three wheelers. And then uh, we we, we got a million downloads. We started to do a lot of trips, and we raised uh, $10 million. Then we raised $23 million. We became on the cover of Forbes. We went to made it to CNN. We were awarded everywhere because Egypt is not used to those big crowds. And then after this, right, Hailing started to fade away. So uh, while I was moving out of the company, they created a more bigger conglomerate where Halan became part of three other companies, which is called now MNT and Halan, which are the uh, first letters of the of all of the three other companies, and it's now Egypt's biggest lender. So. Mobility was a Trojan horse for users, and now it became like a super app for lending with the largest loan book in Egypt. Uh, it's it's sort of a WeChat uh, of our region.
0: Now, how was also, I mean, the the journey here? Because I know that it was a tough beginning, then it got picked up, you know, then it was tough again. Yes. Know, how how did you ride that roller coaster of emotions to us as a, as a founder, especially during the tough times? At the beginning, I was
1: in a lot of denial. I was, what I'm doing? One day I wake up, I feel I'm going to become Elon Musk, you know, and the other day I feel that I'm flopping. What the hell am I doing? And then there was, you know, there is a moment of aha moment, and this was the moment that we closed our big round, which was $23 million, which was the largest round in Egypt back then, and we started to be awarded so there is a lot of validation happening, and the president in Egypt awarded us, and the Forbes magazine put it on the cover and stuff like that. So when this happened, I felt, okay, now I'm going to leave. <laughs> like, I finished my role. I want to go into the board and the markets again and the small room again. So uh, it was it was a tough experience. It was a very tough experience, but it it, it was a very good school for me.
0: Well, no kidding. I mean, especially being the uh, co-founder of what ended up becoming a unicorn company. Now, you know, after that, you know, there was quite a bit of uh, stuff that that you did, you know, from starting an accelerator to doing a fintech fund to developing a venture builder. I guess from all those experiences that ultimately led you to Exits, which is the uh, company that you are, are running today that you acquired and, and that you're leading. What were some of the, uh, I would say, key ingredients that you saw on all these different teams that you either invested or that you helped build, you know, that really were the key recipe for success? What were some of those things that you were seeing as patterns on those teams?
1: The team has to complement each other and not fight with each other. So each member of the team has to know that they each have a superpower that the other doesn't have and they have to work together. But this superpower makes them unable to understand most of the things that the other team members want to do or want to say. Because if you're a tech guy, I'm a business guy, there's another lady who's doing marketing, for example. You speak technology. I speak business and growth, and she speaks marketing and spending. So we we will have to agree to disagree and to accept the superpowers of each other and to listen to each other in the strengths that we convey. And this is what I focused on since then. So the accelerator, actually yesterday we were celebrating the seventh year for the accelerator. We incubated 16 companies. It's run by my partner uh, now. And I was fascinated that this accelerator also uh, graduated 10 companies that crossed $10 million of valuation. In Egypt, this is a big number. And two of them crossed $100 million and, uh, six closed. And then the the fund the fund was started uh, by um, uh, m- 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 my ex boss in February with me and two others. And after moving a while, I realized that no, I'm I'm not I'm not good enough to manage people's money now. I'm better at doing M&A, and this is where I felt I want to do exits because in our part of the region there are no mergers and acquisitions properly done, and. The, 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 there will no way be very big, big, big tech companies or any types of companies without big consolidation. And the the big investment banks and the big uh, the Morgan Stanleys and JPMorgan of the world won't go to a two million dollar company in Egypt to merge it with a three million dollar company in Morocco or a five million dollar Saudi company to merge it with someone in UAE. So I saw those guys doing this exit thing, and I felt that this is the most valuable component. So I just bought the website that this that did this matching, turned it into a company, got two very good co-founders with me, a guy ifc and EBRD, who leads the investment bank, a lady from Google and alhamdulillah today. We did like 70% of the MA in in our area of the world
0: So so tell us about tell us about then, you know, let's let's say what 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 was that segue? Into exits why why was exits you know so like I guess like a like a problem that you thought it was meaningful enough you know to really tackle after the experience that you had before and and how did the whole thing you know come about
1: during my tech journey, I passed through around eleven exits uh, we we, all, we always had the problem that there were no bankers to work on this. Like the Karim deal was done by Credit Swiss, which is a very big uh, banker, but it was very expensive. In February, we ha- we wanted to acquire some companies along the way. We didn't find anyone to help us do it. We had to go ourselves and do it. Uh, I was also an advisor to a company called Kitab Saudi, which does Arabic audio books. We sold it to Storytel. The 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 sale was very tough because there were no mediator in between, and and and, and many others that we sold. Without a mediator, it was tough because the big mediators are very expensive. They they might Their commission sometimes is more expensive than the deal itself. So they won't do the deal. And no one uh, knows our uh, ecosystem more than ourselves. So I thought, okay, then someone has to do this and it will be me. And then when I found those guys doing it, actually, but not making revenue from it, just putting, I want to sell, I want to buy, and matching people, I thought, okay, I'll buy this. I'll buy the database. I'll give them the credit for starting this. I'll give them whatever money I can. And then I'll turn it into something bigger and bigger and bigger. And this, this year, we made it a bit big.
0: So uh, tell us about what is the business model there. Uh, how, do, how are you guys making money then on exits?
1: We take 5% from selling or buying. We take 5% from transaction. Uh, from 3 to 7, but our sweet our spot is 5. Uh, we sell... Uh, secondary shares or primary shares any company that wants to raise money sell do MA, they come to us or they go on our website and say i want to sell i want to buy they send a mandate they send an nda we're trying to automate this now actually and then we have something called a virtual data room you get a username and password go in check everything about the company get an automated not an automated but a semi-automated valuation approved by us and then if someone buys we take around 5%. This year, we closed seven deals. We're now pr- trying to close the eight before the end of the year. I doubt we will, but we're trying. Uh, our average ticket size is around $1.5 million per transaction. Our top line is crossing $10 million. And we're touching into $800,000 uh, of revenue this year, which is, in in Egypt, this is a very big number for our second period of operation.
0: So, so I guess, uh, for the people that are listening to, what would you say is the biggest Misconception when it comes to startup MA?
1: Is that you don't need a banker. You don't need someone in between. We will do it our own. This always fails. Someone has to do the work that, because it's a job at the end of the day. It's like a broker for real estate, it's like a car dealer. And what we want to do is we want to create a marketplace for startups where you can, from the United States, open uh, open our website or open our platform, choose a company in Egypt, buy it like you're buying a phone. This is our dream. We want to turn it into like the e-commerce of uh, company transactions. This is what we are aiming at.
0: So, so I guess uh, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of exits is fully realized. What does that world look like? <laughs> uh, I would dream
1: of a world where someone from Mexico can go and exit and buy a company in the Philippines through us, and someone from the United States who thinks that Middle East is rising, so instead of uh, buying a Bitcoin, they go and buy a SaaS product from Egypt where it will make a lot of money because of difference in uh, in, in currency from exporting software and i want to create like a big 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 marketplace for buying and selling uh, shares of private companies across the world with full transparency with full diligence but where people can actually invest in companies either to give them money or to buy secondary shares and i think that this is not hard
0: so then so then, now we're talking about the future. I want to talk about the past, but doing so with a lens of reflection. Okay. So let's say I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back to the moment that you were graduating from American University and uh, you know, with your computer science degree right before going crazy at starting three companies at the same time. <laughs> and let's say you're able to stop that younger self on the tracks and you're able to say to that younger self, one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: Uh, my, my, My piece of advice would be do not be fascinated with famous people and people who are big in business. This is the thing that created most of the problems for me. Like I get fascinated with a very known businessman, a very known entrepreneur, a very known figure. And this makes them, make me work very hard for them and do my best to please them and then they make a lot of money out of me or out of the team and then once this happens when you try to ask them for something then you see usually you see the other side which is you're a, go away you're done so what you should stick to is your values and your business model and your business needs and don't wait for validation from just famous people because they became famous
0: so for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: I reply on LinkedIn quite quickly. I reply on my email in about two or three hours. Uh, this is the fa- These are the fastest two things that I reply to.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, Nagati, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. And I really have a dream to connect the West part of the world with the east part of the world through transactions and exits and hopefully next time we meet in my office in the united states
0: if you like the show make sure that you hit that subscribe button if you could leave a review as well that would be fantastic and if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself share it with a friend perhaps they also appreciate it so also remember that if you need any help whether it is with your fundraising efforts